Good morning, everyone. Can, can everyone hear? It's the first time. Lovely. So Tim's just giving out um, a handout that I'm going to be referring to, which we thought was easier than um, having things on the overheads. So good morning. It's a real pleasure to be with you to introduce your new sermon series on St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Although interestingly, you will have heard when Tim read that this letter was written not by St. Paul alone, but by Paul and Sosthenes. In fact, seven of St. Paul's 13 remaining letters in the Bible were written by St. Paul alone. Um, with one or two co-authors. He wrote seven with somebody else, and only six of his letters are stated to come just from him. I thought I would just look at the historical background, although many of you are probably very familiar with it, in case you're not. So this handout contains a timeline of St. Paul's life on one side and some maps on the other. Uh, Paul was originally from Tarsus in the east of modern Turkey, but he grew up studied and lived his early life in Jerusalem, where he first engaged in persecution of Christians. Following his conversion on the road to Damascus and a three-year stay in Arabia, he spent time preaching the good news about Jesus in Jerusalem and Syria before making three missionary journeys, of which the second is the middle map and the third are relevant to us. On his second missionary journey, he visited Corinth in Greece, which you should find. You can see Athens in the middle of the map. And then Corinth is just to the west of Athens, and it's also on the third map as well. And this is all recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 18, and where in about AD 52, he preached the gospel first to Jews, including Aquila and Priscilla, who may already have been Christians, and then to Gentiles. He stayed there 18 months, during which time the Jews made an unsuccessful attempt to prosecute him before the Roman proconsul Gallio for persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Acts 18.18 tells us that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized, and a large church grew up there. About three years later, during Paul's third missionary journey, it's the bottom map, so in about AD 55, Paul and Sosthenes were in Ephesus on the west coast of modern Turkey when they wrote this letter to the Church of God in Corinth in order to encourage, advise, and strengthen that growing church. So while we're on the map sheet, I'd like to say something about Corinth. I'm sure that most of you know that it was a great centre of trade and commerce situated on the narrow isthmus which joins the south and the north of Greece. However, you may not know that it has an extraordinary mixture of people, having been sacked by the Romans in 146 BC and then refounded a century later by Julius Caesar as a Roman colony. Among its citizens were Greeks, Roman army veterans, Jewish entrepreneurs, philosophers, merchants, sailors, freedmen and slaves. The list goes on. Among these people, however, there were, in the words of one Christian commentator, agents of every form of vice. The city contained at least 12 pagan temples, the chief of which was the Temple of Apollo, situated on the Acro-Corinth, which was a hill about 1,850 feet high. You see it on the top map here, the Acro-Corinth with the Temple of Aphrodite. According to the historian Strabo, this temple was served by 1,000 priestesses who were sacred prostitutes. And there was also a temple to Apollo, the Greek god known as the ideal of male beauty, and many other temples. So Corinth was a rough, tough place 
where Christi- which Christian commentators have concluded was a centre for open and unbridled immorality. It was so bad that Paul approached it on his first visit with fear and much trembling, as you'll learn when you got to get to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Paul was so fearful that Jesus spoke to him in a vision recorded in Acts 18 to tell him not to be afraid, for Jesus was with him and no one was going to attack or harm him. Sosthenes, however, was not so fortunate and had been beaten up outside Gallio's court, with Gallio showing no concern whatsoever. Corinth was therefore quite a city, and it could be said to bear comparison to modern London. Indeed, I would draw the encouraging conclusion that if it was possible to grow a church in Corinth, it is definitely possible to revive and strengthen a church here in London. So what does Paul say and do here to strengthen the church in Corinth? He starts this letter with several positive messages before he goes into the detail of the various problems within the church in Corinth, which which the church in Corinth was not surprisingly suffering, given the circumstances I have just outlined. I'm going to look at four points. If you want to have the Bibles out in front of you, you'll see how these fit into the text. First of all, Paul sets out the special nature of those called to be members of the church. Secondly, he blesses them with grace and peace. Thirdly, Paul thanks God for them. And fourthly, he encourages them with a a reminder of the spiritual gifts that they have been given and of the faithfulness of God. Starting with the special nature of those called to be members of the church at Corinth. Paul makes special mention of the way that he and those he addresses have been called to be members of the church. He speaks of himself in verse 1. He is called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. The the Greek word for called is kletos, from the Greek verb kaleo, to call. At this time, the term apostle was generally used for those who had been with Jesus and sent out by him to speak for him and witness to him. Matthew, Mark and Luke refer to 12 apostles called by Jesus for this purpose. And Paul seems to refer to himself as one of their number in 1 Corinthians 9 and elsewhere. In Acts, Luke uses the term for a larger group, including Barnabas, And Paul refers to James, the Lord's brother, and Andronicus and Junius, also as apostles. The members of the church at Corinth are also called. First, at verse 2, they are kletoi hagioi, called to be holy, or called to be saints, as the same words are translated in Romans 1.7. They are sanctified, hygiasmonoi, in Christ, which is a passive from the verb with the same root, hagios, or holy. They are made holy, devoted to God, set apart for God to do God's will. This has come about not as a result of their own actions, but of Jesus Christ's saving action in their lives. The Gospel writer John records how Jesus prayed to his Father to sanctify his disciples, saying, For them I sanctify myself, so that they too may be truly sanctified. Secondly, at verse 9, the last verse Tim read, they are called by God into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, into spending time together with him. And they respond to God's call to them by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, at verse 2, and we should do the same. The term which is translated church in our Bible, ecclesia, also derives from the same Greek verb, to call. So it means a company of those called out. 
This term here, the church of God, is used only by Paul and only in Acts 28, sorry, Acts 20, here and in 2 Corinthians. At the start of the two letters to the Thessalonians, he uses the the term, the church of the Thessalonians in God. So this term, church of God, that he uses here, reminds us that we are members of and seated in the church of God, rather than our church or my church And that it does not belong exclusively to us, but to anyone who believes in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God blesses the members of the church at Corinth. So at verse 3, he gives what the NIV Study Bible calls an apostolic benediction. And this is grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, or something similar, is used at the start of all Paul's letters although he adds in mercy in his letters to Timothy. Similar greetings are also used in both Peter's letters by Jude and by John in his second letter. So it would appear to be a common greeting used by all the letter writers included in the New Testament except James. In starting with grace, Paul and the other writers adapt the typical Greek greetings, which is kaire or kairete, into a specifically Christian greeting, grace, charis. The grace to which Paul refers is God's unmerited favour, especially that which comes to, comes to sinful humanity through the saving works of Jesus Christ. And Paul asks God, Father, Son, to send more of that grace down on the church in Corinth. And he also ends this letter with the grace of the Lord be with you. Irene, or peace, is a Christian equivalent of the Hebrew greeting shalom, Paul is referring to the total well-being and security which only God can provide and which God does provide fully only to those who are at peace with him. This is the peace of God which passeth all understanding in the King James Version or transcends all understanding in the NIV which Paul describes in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 7. An inner tranquility based on peace with God. The peaceful state of those whose sins are forgiven. Jesus himself said, peace be with you to his disciples when he appeared to them in the upper room after his resurrection. Shortly before his death, John, uh, in John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, which has adapted the normal Hebrew shalom. So here he was talking about the salvation or freedom that his redemptive work would achieve for his disciples. Total well-being, inner calm, in fellowship with God, a real peace, different from any peace that the world can give. And it is this peace that, God is, that Paul is asking God to send down on the church in Corinth. Thirdly, Paul thanks God for the members of the church at Corinth. Although Paul and Sosthenes use most of this letter to address the many problems faced by the church at Corinth, starting with the divisions in that church, which you'll look at next week, he starts the letter on a very positive note with thanks to God for the Corinthian church. In fact, Paul starts the vast vast majority of his letters with similar thanks, all except Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy and Titus. And in each case, the thanks are given to God for his faithful believers and the gifts that he has given them, rather to the believers themselves. The Greek word for I thank is eucharisto. So when we have our service known as the Eucharist, We are engaged in an act of thanksgiving, thanking God for his great goodness to us, 
And of course, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross and thanking him for that. Fourthly, Paul encourages the Corinthians with a reminder of the spiritual gifts they have been given and of the faithfulness of God. Paul reminds the Corinthians that they have been given gifts of enormous value by God. In fact, they have been enriched in every way, in all their speaking, their logos, and all their knowledge, gnosis, both of which are gifts of the Holy Spirit listed by Paul in chapter 12. This has taken place because the testimony of or about Christ was confirmed in you which probably refers to Paul's testimony about Christ, which the Corinthian Christians had accepted and which their changed lives proved to be true. They do not lack any spiritual gift. And by you plural here, Paul means the church as a whole, as it is clear from chapter 12 of this letter that any individual cannot have all the spiritual gifts. Rather, each person is normally given just one manifestation of the spirit, wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits and speaking in different kinds of tongues and interpreting them. The word for spiritual gift is charisma, which stresses that each gift is a gift of grace from God. Moreover, the God who has called the Corinthians to follow him is faithful as they eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed When he comes again to judge us, God will keep them strong to the end until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ so that they will be blameless on that day. This is the day on which all Christians will need to give an account of ourselves to our Lord Jesus. None of us, myself included, wants to think too much about it. We do not often speak about it, even in church. But Paul makes it quite clear at 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Both here, verse 8, and in Philippians 1.10, Paul speaks of the need to be blameless on that day. Here, at the start of this letter, Paul and Sosthenes give the Corinthians the greatest encouragement possible, that despite the many problems they have to tackle within their church, God will keep them strong to the end, so that they will be blameless on the day of judgment and will be judged among the saved, rather than condemned as sinners. God is faithful and will fulfill his promise in that respect. What then can we take from this passage? We note in verse 2 that this letter is written not just to the Corinthian Christians, but to all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that includes us. Taking the points from the passage in the reverse order, starting at the back, at the end, our God is faithful and will keep us strong to the end if we put our trust in him. As a congregation of the Church of God, a company of those called out to follow God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we have together been given all the spiritual gifts that we need. We should be thankful for God's goodness to us and in particular for his grace, his unmerited favour to us. We should, be, we should endeavour to be vessels of God's peace and grace and to ask God to pour out that grace and peace both onto ourselves and to those whom we meet. If we cannot bring ourselves to actually say grace and peace to you when we meet each other and our friends outside church, we should at least be thinking it and acting upon it. We should always remember that we are called to be set apart for God as holy people or as saints. 
but at the same time that we can that we can obtain this objective not through our own efforts but only as a result of God Father Son and Holy Spirit working for us within us and through us and finally we should respond to God's call to us by calling on his name and spending time with him and in prayer to him May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all forevermore. Amen.